Mark chapter 3. Let's stand together, please, for the reading of the Word of God. The last message we had from Mark chapter 3 brought us up through the 19th verse. And it was about, just kind of give you an overview, kind of refresh your memory. It was a time when the multitude was pressing upon Jesus so much that he asked the disciples to get a boat so that he could use that as a means to distance himself from the crowd because they were pressing upon him. And in that message, we made a contrast between groups of people in this, around Jesus. One was the multitude. And those multitudes, we'll mention them again tonight, those multitudes were primarily interested in their immediate needs. They weren't really interested in the message. They weren't really interested in um, serving the Lord. They were just interested in either seeing what he could do or having him do something for them. And at that time, then, Jesus pulled his disciples away, which became a pattern with him. And the group of people that he would pour his life into and invest in their life, he pulled them aside to a mountain, and then he selected from them 12 that he also called apostles. And he would send them out to preach and gave them power to perform miracles. And so that was the last message that we had from Mark chapter 3. And the last part of verse 19 says, And they went into an house. They'd come from the mountain. He had appointed the twelve. They went into a house. And then in verse 20 it says, Mark 3 and 20, And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. I mean, when it's so busy that a Baptist preacher cannot eat, it's busy. And that, that's the way it was. There was so much, there was no way they could even have enough time to themselves for a meal. Verse 21 says, and when his friends heard of it, talking about his being Jesus' friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. We're going to talk about this group of people here and this comment and what they were saying. Now from verse 22, following down through verse 30, we have a familiar passage we're not going to deal with tonight. We'll come back to that next week. About where the scribes accused him of casting out devils by Beelzebub. There's too much in here to cover in one message. So I want us to drop down to verse 31 and read to the end of the verse and we'll pray. There came then his brethren and his mother and standing without sent unto him calling him. And the multitude sat about him and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. So you get the picture, crowded place, Jesus' brethren, those half-brothers related to him, his mother wanting to spend some time with Jesus, and they couldn't get to him because of the multitude. And so the multitude said, Your mother and your brethren are outside wanting to see you. Verse 33, And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, 
Behold my mother and my brethren. I can see this in my mind. Jesus' mother is outside. She's had children since the birth of Jesus. These, these family members are outside. And wanting to get in. And they said, your mother and your brethren are outside looking for you. And Jesus looked at the people in the house that were surrounding him. And he says, behold my mother and my brethren. In other words, this is my family right here. Verse 35, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And as we get into the scripture tonight, we want to give our attention to the word of God. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable there's profit in it for us, so please help us to benefit from what you have for us. Guide us in the word of God. Speak to our hearts. Help us to grow in grace, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So here again we have the multitude, the multitude that's pressing in upon Jesus. And if you read these verses surrounding this, and we're not going to do this tonight, but the crowds just followed Jesus, large crowds, you know, uh, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. So many people that they were unable to eat. And Jesus has been withdrawing his disciples, as I said earlier, apart so that he could spend time with them. It's interesting to me that Jesus, I mean, Jesus knew here how limited his time was. No one else really understood what he knew. And he knew that he had approximately three years of ministry. From the time he began, from the time of his baptism, when he began his earthly ministry, when he began to preach, think about this. He had three years to make whatever impact he was going to make on the world, humanly speaking, down here on this earth among people, and then he was going to be gone. He would be crucified. He would ascend back into heaven. And so to me, you have this great contrast. You have the multitudes who only thought of themselves and their immediate needs. Physical ailments, infirmities, different things. Jesus, would you help this person? Bringing crippled people to Jesus. Bringing them by the droves. But it's clear what they wanted. They wanted immediate help. But Jesus had to think about something else. And that is, in three years plus, he would be leaving something on this earth. And he was more interested in what he was going to leave behind than just some people who got their ailments helped. Do you follow what I'm saying? And how is he prepared for that? His time would be spent investing in people. His time would be spent in trying to train people. And when he went back to heaven, he left his ministry in the hands of a group of people. Not a large group of people, but a faithful group of people. And by the way, the plan worked. Because that's where we got the message. Amen? That's how it came to us. And sometimes, if we're not careful in ministry, we think of terms only in terms of the large group, the bigger group, you know, how many people can we get? And I like having people around. I'm not saying that, that we're opposed to people. 
But I'm telling you, what's really going to impact future generations is not just large groups of people coming in and just to get their needs met. It's people who will take the Bible seriously, who will grow in grace, who will become disciples and followers of Christ. And we can learn from that. I think we can learn from that. Same, same way with family, same way with parents. You know, when parents, I know that most Christian parents, when they leave, they would like to leave children who are established in the faith. People are going to continue to raise their children, who will raise their children, who will raise their children to live for the Lord. And so that's the way it ought to work. So we have this, this contrast, but we also have this matter of opposition to Jesus that seems like it comes up in every message in every portion of scripture thus far in the gospel of Mark, this increasing opposition. One of this, and here we find it from an unlikely source, I believe, verse 21, it says, when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. Now the word friends there is an interesting word. It's not translated from the word that's normally translated as friend. The normal word, the most common Greek word translated as friend in the New Testament is phileo. Like Philadelphia, phileo, it's like friendliness. It's like, like being a companion. This is, this is a totally different word. And the word really is, doesn't have to do with it. It's not about the disciples. It's not about close spiritual friends. You can tell it's a different group of people. His friends, and it, it seems to indicate, and I'm not saying this uh, dogmatically, but it seems to indicate that these probably were people who were closely associated or acquainted with Jesus who knew him well even before his baptism, even before he began his ministry. And so these are called his friends. His, and it doesn't say they're family, but they're close to him. And when they heard of what was going on, look in verse 21, when they heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. Now that's a phrase that we use sometimes, right? When you think of someone who's beside themselves, who do you think of? Don't look to your right or your left. <laughs> but it means that they, they thought he was in trouble mentally, or he was unstable, or he was, he was unfit. He's beside himself. Maybe he was confused. Maybe he was deranged. And, and it says in verse 21, there they laid hold on him. These friends wanted to rescue him from himself. Because what he was, it looked like things were just so out of control. It looks like he was, he, you know, what, what can we do with him? Maybe they wanted to take him home to Capernaum, which was his headquarters. And it's interesting that down in verse 31, where we read a moment ago, that we see that some of his family was there. His mother was there. His half-brothers were there. By the way, we may get back to this later, but, but these, these are often called in the Bible, in our King James Bible, brethren. And those were his actual relatives. They were kin to him. These, these brethren right here. Behold thy mother and thy brethren without Seek for thee. So, so, these, so we knew these kind of people were around him that weren't disciples. Matter of fact, in John chapter 7, it made it clear that they were not believers. Many of these 
family members of Jesus. Now again, for the sake of you who may, may be kind of new to the faith, Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. She had never had intimate relationships with a man. She was a pure woman. And God himself was placed in her womb, and she gave birth to the Son of God, the greatest, greatest miracle of all. Isn't that wonderful? But later on, she and her husband Joseph had children, that naturally had children. And so, and so those were considered the family. By the way, that, that in itself exposes one of the great errors of the Catholic religion, which is the perpetual virginity of Mary, that she was always remained a virgin. That's just not true. She had children after Jesus was born. And so some of these people, we know clearly right here, some of these people are in attendance. And some of the people that were closest to Jesus perhaps knew him as well as anyone else knew him in a natural sense, not in a spiritual sense, accused him or considered him to be over the edge. You know, he's, he's not normal. Maybe he's even crazy. Maybe he needs to be admitted. They weren't supportive of him or his ministry. A lot of confusion about who Jesus was and what he was doing. And by the way, isn't it comforting? I was thinking about this today, just meditating on this message. It's comforting to know that we have support of people who are close to us, right? It is good. It's helpful. But Jesus, these were people close to Jesus. And they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in him as the son of God. They weren't followers. They weren't disciples. And they didn't even know from a mental standpoint if his ministry was legitimate. If he was really on the right track, that's where, that's where Jesus was. And we'd like to always have people around us, you know, that are supportive of us, seek, as we seek the Lord, as we serve the Lord, but it doesn't always happen that way. As a matter of fact, over in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul was called mad. <laughs> mad, not like a mad because he's upset mad. Mad because he's off his rocker mad. And even Paul himself writing in 2 Corinthians said, if we be beside ourselves, that's what he said, if we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Now I take the time to mention that because in this world, people don't always understand us. They don't always understand us. They don't understand our faith. They don't understand our priorities. They don't understand why you're here on a Sunday night. Right? I mean, didn't you go to church this morning? Didn't you get enough this morning? Why are you back Sunday night? People don't understand. They don't understand people wanting to assemble to worship God. They don't understand people who want to serve God with their life, who make time in their schedule to serve the Lord. They don't understand that. People who want to give of their resources to get the gospel out to people who need to know Jesus Christ. That does not compute. Uh, someone... Within the last week, um, someone was telling me that um, it was kind of like a secondhand knowledge, and I can't even bring up now who, who this came from, which is usually that's a, really a good thing. <laughs> but um, how that when they told this person that they were coming to our church, this person, I just now remember who told me this, this person who I'm speaking of, has not been inside this building for 20 years plus, 25 years. 
And this is what they said to someone who's been coming to our church. That place is a cult. You don't want to go to that church. Everybody doesn't understand. And by the way, this is not a cult, right? Now, before you leave, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, we're not, we don't drink Kool-Aid around here. We study the Bible. We study the Bible. We read the Bible. We try to live by the Bible. Isn't that a novel idea to try to live by the word of God? The point is, people don't always understand. They didn't understand with Jesus. They didn't understand with his disciples. They didn't understand with the Apostle Paul. And I'm not saying we, ought to, we should act crazy, but, it, but to them we are kind of off our rocker, beside ourselves. You follow what I'm saying? So in this context of dealing with these family members and friends, this, and we're skipping now down to verse 31 and following. Jesus' mother... And his brethren wanted to have some family time with Jesus. And they said to him in verse 32, Your mother and your brethren are outside without seek, and they seek for thee. And he answered them saying, Who is my mother? Now they really think he's crazy. <laughs> right? We thought you were crazy. Now you've removed all doubt. Who is my mother or my brethren? Now Jesus is going to make a point, and I want us to consider that point tonight. By the way, this must have been a bombshell to those that were listening to him. For one thing, the family was and is such a foundational part of the Jewish culture. The family. And he said, who is my mother? And who are my brethren? In verse 34, he looked round about on them, which sat about him. These are people who are in this house to hear him, to learn about him, to know about him, who are growing as disciples. And he said, behold, my mother and my brethren. Words, these, this is my family. And he goes on to say in verse 35, and this is a great verse to mark in your Bible, to if you want to meditate on a verse, here's a great verse to meditate upon, think about. Because who is Jesus' family? Who is his family? It's not just his mother that taught him as a baby and rocked him as a baby. It's not just his brothers that he grew up. Who, are, who is his family? Verse 35 says, For whosoever shall do the will of God... The same as my brother and my sister and mother. My family are those who obey the will of God. That's what Jesus said, right? That's what he said. You know, I thank God for our family, for our natural family, for our earthly family. I thank God for the institution of the family. Which, by the way, was ordained by God. I thank God for our children, for our grandchildren, for our great-grandchild. I thank God for my wife, for my blood relatives, for my parents, for my grandparents, 
for aunts and uncles, for cousins that we still communicate with, other relatives. I'm, I'm, I'm putting in a positive word for the family because nowhere in the Bible, I don't want to be misunderstood, in that, nowhere in the Bible are we encouraged to neglect or abuse our family. And pleasant family members and pleasant family memories are treasure to us. I treasure those memories. And there's a big part, I think you could, con you could contribute a big part of the moral decline and free fall in our culture to what has happened in the family, the deterioration of the home and the family. And I think as Christians, we ought to do everything we can to build up the family, to encourage our families. But this is not the only family we have. This is not our own. Jesus said, my family, this is what Jesus said, my brothers, my sisters, my mother, are those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Not just those who have the same last name. Not just those who live under the same roof. If we are saved, we are members of God's family. We're members of a different family. And I think it's worth every once in a while just thinking about this and realizing that God has something to say about this. By the way, one of the things, just thinking as I'm preaching tonight, that I rejoice in is when people who would, and I would fall into this category, who came from a dysfunctional family, who did not have a nuclear family, a traditional family, a mother and a father in the house. To go. Many people have found in God's family the family they never had. And I thank God for that. I want to look at a couple of the verses of Scripture tonight. Go with me, if you would, please, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to just look at a couple of verses, a few passages that talk about God's family. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says, For this cause, Ephesians 3, 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now here, here we're not talking about your earthly family. We're not even really talking about your church family. We're talking about the family of God. And there are a lot of people who are saved who are not a part of our church family. We would, I think there's a special closeness to our church family. But this is talking about God's family. God's family. God has a family. And our relationship in the family of God is based on our relationship to the Heavenly Father. Because He's our Father. God is our Father. We have, a, we have a common family. And God is our Father. If you're in Ephesians, go 
uh, to the left, left a ways and go to the book of Romans, if you would please. And we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. We're talking about the family. If I was titling the message tonight, I would call it the family of Jesus. The family of Jesus. Jesus said, who is my family? You know, because a lot of people, I don't think, understand this or take this seriously. If you were to ask them, tell me, some, tell me about your family. That's a common question. Tell me about your family. And we'd tell them about our kids and our grandkids and our, you know, brothers and sisters and our in-laws and outlaws. I mean, we'd just, we'd tell them about our family. But according to Jesus, he said, I'll tell you who my family is and, that, and you'll know who they are. They're those who do the will of my Father which in heaven. That's who my family is. In Romans, if you look there in chapter 8 and verse and verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If, if the Spirit of God is in them, if the Spirit of God is leading them, they are His children. They are the sons of God. Verse 15, For you've not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God is our Father. The Spirit of God within us, the Spirit of God within us, helps us to relate to God as our Father. That's a part of being saved. Some people who are religious don't really have a relationship with God. They don't really know what it is to, to, to talk to God like he's your father. Jesus, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you're saved, God is your father. And because we're saved, we're going to spend eternity together. Right? Amen. By the way, how do you get into God's family? How do you get into God's family? You can't pay your way into God's family, right? A lot of people that some of our people really look up to went to jail this week because they tried to pay their kids' way into college. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you can't pay your way into God's family. The only way you can get into God's family is you have to be born into God's family. That's the new birth. You have to be born again. Matter of fact, when Jesus was talking to some religious people, he really ruffled some feathers once when he said, you are of your father, the devil. That's a different family, by the way. That's the family I was in before I was born again. But when we were saved, when we came to, came to God with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we were born again. And we were born into the family of God, and we were, he adopted us, and he came to dwell within us, and God became our father. Now, I won't begin to say tonight that I always relate to God as my father like I should, and, and, but I'm telling you, it's wonderful having God as your father, isn't it? God's your father. You can talk to your father. He loves us. And God's family becomes our family, our brothers and sisters. Now, I know, 
I know that sometimes we know things in our mind, but in a practical sense, we don't live like it's that way. We're family. You know, my wife has plans to go to a family reunion in a few weeks. Some of her family. I didn't get invited, but that's okay. <laughs> no. They're family. It's a family reunion. They're family, and I've been around them, and I love them, by the way. Many of them, I know them. But sometimes we, we understand that kind of family. We understand when the family comes over for Thanksgiving or the family comes over for Christmas. We understand that kind of family. But Jesus said, here's my family. My family are people who obey God. These are the people. These are my brothers and sisters. And I want to say to you tonight, we ought to, we ought to live the same kind of family life that Jesus is talking about when he said those things. God, God becomes our father and God's family becomes our family and our brothers and sisters. You know, when a friend of mine recently in Lubbock, Texas, called me to tell me that Brother Bynum's health was failing and, and that Brother Bynum had requested that I'd come down there to preach his funeral. And... You know, I knew it would be a kind of a challenging trip. I'm handicapped as it is. And, but you know what? He's family. He was family to me. His wife is family. We, we talked, my wife called his wife, his widow, this week. And I called another member of the church to check on his wife. You know why? Because we're family. It's not because we're somebody, we're family. We care about each other. When I heard about Brother Jim Cook's brother dying today, I felt that. I'm not saying I felt it like he felt it, but I felt that. You know why? Because we're family. The, the, the family of God is our family. We care about each other. We love each other. We, we're to encourage each other. We're to minister to each other. We need each other. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. In verse 1, Paul said to Timothy, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Treat older men, elders, that's older men, treat older men like a father. Now today, that may not mean much, but in the days gone by, that meant you respect them. You show them respect. And the younger men as brethren treat younger men as their brothers. The elder women as mothers. Treat older women like you would respect and treat your mother. The younger as sisters with all purity. When I was working with teenagers more, I would use those verses and tell our young men, if you're saved, those young ladies are saved, they're, they're your sister. Treat them like your sister. Might, might keep you out of getting in some bad situations. Treat them we're, that we're family. Everybody that's saved is a part of the same family. And, and I, by the way, everybody needs this. But I especially think sometimes 
the unsaved and unchurched world need this. They need, they need family. Not just a physical family. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the physical family. I thank God for our family, our physical family. But nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it teach that our physical family, our earthly family, should always take precedent over our spiritual family. That's not taught in the Bible. Jesus said, this is my family. This is something in recent decades that I think has, some error has crept into people's theology, and that is, you know, that the family's everything. And I love the family, but the family's not everything. I'm talking about the earthly family. God's family is something too. And I've been asked this numerous times in my life. Don't you, th don't you think the family should come first? And I always answer the same way. I said, no, God should come first. God should come first. And if God's first, then we'll treat our family right. And if God's first, we'll figure out how to treat our Christian family right. Now, I realize this tonight, and, I, and just in case you think I don't recognize this, that some people, and I've known a few over my lifetime, that have put the ministry before their family, their earthly family, their natural family, and have hurt their family. And I think that's wrong, right? I've seen, I've seen that happen. That's wrong. But I've seen far more people that have neglected the service of God for their natural family. Because they can't get involved in ministry because they have a family to take care of. God says we have two families. And, and we're not to just take care of one and neglect the other. By the way, Jesus is the great example. I'm not saying that I am. He's the supreme example of a man who deeply loved his mother. Who respected his mother. But he did not let her interfere with his devotion to his heavenly father. Would you agree with that? And by the way, Jesus wasn't being rude in this passage when he said, here's my family, when he didn't go out and give them preferred status. Like I said earlier, some of them were not believers, and he said, here's my, he's, I mean, you have, to, you have to get this from this passage. Jesus felt closer to his spiritual family than he did his natural family. Would you agree with that? Sure he did. Now again, just to get balance, keep balance he wasn't advocating that we ignore, abandon, or neglect our family. Jesus loved his mother. I'm not going to take the time to look at it. Most of you would know this. John chapter 19, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had been forsaken by his closest friends. He had been beaten to a pulp. He had been crucified, lied about. The sins of the whole human race were weighing upon him. And at that moment, he took provision for the future needs of his mother. Is that right? He didn't neglect his mother. Jesus was perfectly obedient and respectful to his mother, but he didn't live for his mother. He lived for his heavenly father. I'm, I'm reminded of the case when Jesus was 12 years old. They'd been, they'd traveled from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover, 70 miles. It took several days to get there. They traveled afoot, I'm sure. And as they left Jerusalem to go back north to Nazareth, 
Jesus was not to be found. As a matter of fact, they didn't have the, a tw- their 12 year, 12 year old. Who's, any of you guys 12 years old? All right, Zechariah's a 12 year old. Um, so, so Jesus was the age of Zechariah, and, and he had been without his family for days, and they had been without him for days, right? Somebody should have been calling the hotline. <laughs> and finally they found him. And they found him in the temple asking and answering questions, dialoguing with the religious people. And this is what Zechariah, I mean, this is what Jesus said to his mother. Wist you not that I should be about my father's business? Twelve-year-old boy. He said, I'm tending to my father's business, my heavenly father's business. So in this passage in Mark 3, we have the earthly family of Jesus who were around him, but the spiritual family of Jesus that he identified better with. Right? That's what we have. By the way, the best life there is, is where our earthly family members are also our brothers and sisters in Christ. And where our families serve the Lord together. Amen? That's the best life there is. I was thinking about my mother today. And she's been gone a long time, but she loved the Lord so much. And she was such an example to us of devotion to Christ and serving the Lord her whole life. A great testimony. And I forget lots of things, but I'll never, ever, ever forget the image that's, that's seared into my mind of when my wife and I and Tracy and our, what, some belongings we had in a, in a, a red Ford Maverick. And we were pulling away from Mama's house. And she stood on the front porch of that frame house. And would wave, and wave. I can still see her waving. And I wept. I cried like a baby. And, um, you know, she loved us. And from her world to where I live now was a long ways. I was the only one of her three sons that were serving the Lord. And I was moving 600 miles away. But I know this. My mother would have never wanted me to do anything that would put her before the will of God. I know that for a fact. Now, I, say, I take this a, a time tonight to talk about this because I think there's a lot of error in this matter of family. Family is important, but family is not all important, right? Family matters, our earthly family. By the way, my greatest burden for my family, like Paul said in Romans, is that they would be saved, that they would come to know the Lord. And I love my brothers, but, we, but we're not on the same page spiritually. You know what I'm saying? But I love them. And don't, don't, 
You know, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And some people just say, well, I don't have time for the ministry. I can't serve the Lord. I've got a family to take care of. And I think that's an extreme view. Other people get on the other side. And they neglect their family because they're so up to their eyeballs in ministry. And I think that's wrong as well. Who is my family, Jesus said. This would, if Jesus was standing here tonight and you were to ask him, who's your family? He, I don't think he'd have taken his wallet out and said, let me show you my, all this. He'd have said, here's my family right here. Here's my mother and brother and sister. Those who do the will of my father which is in heaven, here's my family. Amen? And by the way, you can't, you're not a part of that if you've never been saved. You're not a part of that. You're not a part of God's family because your parents are saved or because somebody you know is saved. You're a part of God's family because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross as the payment for your sin. And the moment you do that, the moment you do that, God accepts you as his child. And you will be his child forever. Right? But you've got to individually come to him by faith and receive him by faith. And some of you have never done that. You could do that tonight. This would be the greatest night of your life. You could do that tonight. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you to do something tonight as we conclude this message. And that is be thankful for your earthly family. However, however good or maybe bad that may look, be thankful for them. But also recognize that that's not the only family you have if you're saved. You have the family of God that are just as much family. If you're saved, God is your father. Amen.